Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come and we can hear your word. I thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of being in a safe place, that we're in a culture and a community where we have the freedom to read your word, that we have the freedom to worship you and praise you, that we have the freedom to express your heart to the community around us without restriction, without persecution. And Father, we recognize that it is a privilege and it is also a responsibility. And Lord, we say to you this morning that our hearts are to be faithful servants to you. And we want to be a people who are fruitful. And we want to be a people who represent you well, Father. And so as we come to study your scriptures this morning, we say to you, Lord, this is a heart and our intent. Anoint us with your Holy Spirit and help us, Father, as we do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen and amen. All right, so we're continuing in a series, The Culture of the King, and we looked at the parable of the sower. And so we're breaking this down into three different things. We looked last week at the seed. We talked about the seed and what it was. We talked about the power of the seed, and we're going to look today at the soil, and then next week we're going to look at sowing and being a fruitful people. But we heard about how Jesus went out of the synagogue, out of the temple, and he sat down by the seashore with people crowding around him, and he took some time to talk to his people in simple terms, in natural ways, in a parable, um, to explain the amazing mysteries and the power of the gospel in a simple way. And the heart of God is that the gospel is not some complex, unreachable thing that can only be understood by a few select people, but the heart of Jesus is that every single ordinary person can receive and be transformed by the gospel and become an extraordinary person. And what Jesus actually did, as he sat with parables like this, he took a small handful of ordinary people and they became extraordinary and they changed the world. And so we have the opportunity, even some 2,000 years later, to join that group and be a people who have the power to change the world. But contained in the parable that Jesus taught are keys to how we can actually live out that life. And so we're going to look at it. So I want to read the passage in Luke that talks about... Um, that that goes over this parable. It's in uh, three of the Gospels. And then Jesus gave the meaning in Luke. We're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at what the soil is. All right, let's do do this. We're going to test your eyesight this morning. um, Because uh, these words are a little small up here. I have fun with this. Thankfully, I thank God that because I'm English, I have good eyesight. All of you know that English people have good eyesight. I don't know why. I think we watch less TV. So we have kind of games in our house. We look out the window, and the, and the kids ask my wife what she can see. And it's like, can you see that license plate? And she says, I can't even see there's a car out there. <laughs> and then we start reading off the license plate. Anyway, we can do the same now. So let's read this. Um, this is Jesus speaking. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. And the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So the disciples ask him about this. It's like, what are you talking about? What the heck does this mean? And Jesus says this. He gives us the meaning of the parable. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. Isn't it good that if you are hungry to understand what God wants to say to you, he will make it clear to you. Jesus said this, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones that hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. All right, so let's talk about some of the terms here so we can break this down and we can mine the word of God to fill out our understanding so that we know how we can respond to it. So we're going to look at some of the terms here. Okay, so number one, Jesus makes it clear here that the seed is the word of God. So we've got the seed, which is the word of God. Now, let's just a word about parables here. Parables, they are an aid that Jesus used to help bring understanding. They're not a literal thing. And if you begin to pursue this endlessly, it will break down. But what we need to do is apply ourselves so we can get the heart of what Jesus is wanting to say. So he made it clear that the seed is the word of God. Okay. Now, I want to make it clear here that he said the seed is the word of God. It is not just the word of God unto salvation. It's not just the gospel of the good news. It is the word of God. So that whenever the word is God is sown, whether it's into our hearts who do know God and our spirits are alive, the word of God falls into the soil of our hearts and has an opportunity to respond. Now, this word of God also has an opportunity to fall on the heart of someone that doesn't know God and become lodged there and produce salvation. But it, what, what we're talking about here is not just salvation. Okay? Um, we, of course, if you pursue this, if, if a seed gets into my heart and it finds good soil and it begins to then grow and produce a harvest, that harvest will in turn produce its own seed perhaps a hundred times more seed. And so I will become full of the word of God. And then I will have the opportunity to sow out the word of God to others and those around me so that they are transformed. All right. So the soil represents the heart. And that is what we were focusing on right now. And it represents all hearts. It doesn't say it's the heart of the believer or the unbeliever. The soil is the heart. So right before us, we have a whole bunch of soil. um, And there's soil everywhere we go. Um, I hope that when you came in this morning, you had the opportunity to get given a little plant pot. Who got a plant pot of soil and seed? We have a handful of people. Okay, that is just an aid. Jamie is holding it up. It looks awesome. Thank you, Cindy, for that. Uh, Great job. That's just an aid here for you to have something you can hold on to by way of a reminder 
of what our commission is. Okay, and then finally, the sower. The sower is anyone who proclaims the word of God. It's not just Jesus. We are called to be sowers and sow it out. So anyone who proclaims the word of God is a sower. But today, we are focusing on the soil. And the soil is like a critical part of our lives as believers. Our hearts will determine the amount of fruit that we can bear, of any type, good fruit or bad, or bad fruit. In Proverbs 4.23, we have this powerful passage here which says, watch over your heart. Some translations say, guard it, but watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And so that life, that water of the Spirit will come out of my heart and yours, but exactly what comes out of our heart is dependent upon how I actually watch and guard my heart. I will determine exactly what comes out of my own heart. And we're given an amazing and sobering charge by God to tend our hearts. So as I was studying on this, I, um, I went ahead and I thought, I'm just fascinated. Why did Jesus use soil to represent the heart? And so I just did a little bit of research about soil. And I love research. I love kind of reading on things like this. If any of you have done strength finders, one of my strength finders is input. And so that means that I, I'll constantly like put information into my mind and my wife and children um, constantly talk to me about how much useless information I have in there. Um, but I love, I love studying things like this. But listen, when I read a summary of what soil is, I was quite fascinated by it, and I understood why our hearts are likened to soil. And so I think I, I, think I actually have this. Uh, you can read along with me here. Um, here's a summary of what soil is. Soil is a mixture of minerals, organic matter, gases, liquids, and countless organisms that together support life on earth. Soil is a natural body called the pedosphere, which has four important functions. One, it is a medium for plant growth. It is a medium for growth. Two, it is a means of water storage. Isn't that fascinating? When we understand what water represents in the Bible, it is a means of supply and purification, and it is a modifier of the earth's atmosphere. It is a habitat for organisms, all of which in turn modify the soil. Soil has been called the skin of the earth as it interfaces with the lithosphere and a bunch of other spheres. We're not going to look at those now. The term, last sentence, the term pedolith is used commonly to refer to the soil and it literally means ground stone. Your heart is the foundation stone upon which everything else is built. It is a means of growth, it is a means of supply of life, and it is a means to purify the life within you. It is the groundstone and foundation of your life and your walk with God. And by tending it, you will change the atmosphere around you. You will transform it. That is why Jesus used soil to represent our hearts. It is an incredible, incredible thing. So the soil represents the heart. So 
A well-tended heart will facilitate growth. It will store and purify life. And it will change the atmosphere around us. So I want to ask you, how, how then do we tend the heart? And we're going to just look at a couple of things in the time that we have left of how we can manage and tend our hearts well so that we can be a people that can bear much, much fruit. Um, we could break this down and there's, it's kind of helpful to do this. Um, before I talk about keys to a good heart, I just want to give a little bit of a breakdown of the parable more so we can help fit our lives into the different examples that God gave. I find it really helpful to, 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 to try and put myself into the situations that Jesus is talking about. So I'm just going to break down some of these terms a little bit more. So the soil represents the heart. And so we then have three types of soil that are listed there, right? There are four examples that Jesus gave, one of which bore fruit. The other three didn't bear fruit. And there are three different types of of soil. So number one, we had a path upon which soil was sown and the soil was hard so the seed couldn't penetrate. Now, they didn't have paved roads back then. There wasn't a, the paths didn't have some uh, different surface on them, but the path that would be beside a field, all that path was is well trodden down soil that had become hard, it, the soil was still soil, just like the area that would actually bear fruit, but that part of the soil had become hard. So when the seed was sown on it, the seed wouldn't go in, and so it lay on the surface, and then birds came and stole that. The seed couldn't penetrate that hard soil. Number two, there was seed that fell on rocky ground. There was ground that was full of rocks. And so the seed went into the ground, but in the ground, there were all kinds of rocks. Most rocks are porous. And in the soil of this person's heart, there are hard obstacles that draw the life water away from the soil into the rock itself and prevent the soil from having enough water to cause that seed to, to sprout. That person's heart has obstacles in, within it, things which are hard, that draw the water away that's designed to cause life, and they just feed on something which seems hard and unfruitful. We're going to look at how to overcome that in a few minutes. And the third type of soil was the soil that was full of weeds, and those things choked up the good seed. You know, I often find it's really interesting. Um, when, I, uh, when I used to drive to work, when I um, worked uh, for a large corporation up until somewhat recently, um, I was in the car business. And so on my way to work, I would pay attention to other dealerships and things like this. And I don't know if you've noticed this before, but um, I used to drive past a couple of different premises where there was a car dealership um, which they had shut down and they built another location. And this dealership, which I had driven past, there were a few of them, for years and years, they always looked amazing, they looked immaculate, they looked great. But once they left that premises, within such a short space of time, 
I noticed that how terrible the place looked. Weeds springing up everywhere. It seemed like the paint somehow began crumbling more rapidly when no one was actually occupying the dealership. And then with a short space of time, something that formerly had been a place of life was overgrown with weeds and just looking run down. And the soil of our hearts, when we accept the wrong type of seed and we're not accepting the good seed, very quickly that seed will grow up and choke away the life that was once there. And in a short space of time, if we're not holding on to the good seed, the bad seed will run up and choke away the good seed. And so we need to tend our hearts so that we can be like the good soil, which is the soft soil that received the seed readily and brought a great harvest. Amen? All right. So we're going to look quickly at keys to having a good heart, that heart which is representative of that good and soft soil. And so keys to a good heart. Number one, we have to keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. All right, so let's just talk about this. Um, what is your conscience? Okay, so Paul talks about this, and he's speaking to believers, and he says this. They show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. That is what your conscience does. It is that voice inside your head that bears witness to the Word of God that when you have the opportunity to respond well or respond poorly, it is telling you what to do. And you're hearing that voice. Now, we've all been in these type of situations where we've been at a decision point. And we're hearing something like, hey, you should just get out of here as fast as possible. And you're like, I think that is right. But somehow, I want to stay just a little bit longer. But I know it's wrong. But why do I want to do that? And then this other voice is bearing witness. You know you need to escape the situation as quickly as possible. That is the voice of your conscience. Okay? The conscience is an amazing thing. We want to welcome the conscience. Thank you, God, for consciences. But the conscience has a problem. We read a number of the times in the New Testament, and Paul writes in Timothy, and he says people have become seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. What a terrible analogy that is. Can you imagine what that would be like if I come up to Greg here, and a branding iron goes on this man's shoulder? Now, there's a lot of meaning in this as to what happens to our conscience. I remember... When I first came to this country, I was mulling over these scriptures. At the same time, I decided to take on an extra job to earn some money. So I was working for a guy who was in landscaping doing aeration. So does anyone know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about core aeration here? It's that machine, big heavy machine, which pokes holes in your lawn. So I would go with this guy who was an ex-football player, so he was like 6'3 and 260 pounds, and we would manhandle these massive machines, and I'm 6'3 and 160 pounds, <laughs> and, and we would go out in St. Louis in September. Now, any of you who are from St. Louis know that in September, it's 100 degrees every day and 98% humidity. So we would get up at 7 in the morning, and we would go and do people's yards until 7 at night. 
and he made a ton of money, and I made a small amount of money, but I am not, I'm not bitter about that in any way. Um, my heart is well tended. Um, and so we would go out and do this. Now, so I would be wrestling this machine that would be bouncing along these yards for 12 hours on every Saturday for like four straight Saturdays. After the first day, my hands were red raw and they killed. They were painful because something was having an effect on my hands, which I wasn't used to, and I was incredibly sensitive to it. Now, the next time I went to do this, the following Saturday, my hand had become a little bit calloused and it healed over. So off I went again, 12 hours of manhandling this machine, and then my hand really hurt again. But during the week, the skin grew over and it became harder and harder. The third time I did it, I didn't really notice it. And before long, my hands had become hard and callous to the point where if I would kind of push into my, uh, my finger or my palm with a pin, the skin was so hard, it was no longer sensitive. I was not sensitive and receptive to what my hands were feeling. Why? Because I had continued to do something repetitively and I had become hardened to the effects of it. And so the conscience, when it speaks to us and tells us what to do, gives us the option to say, I'm still going to go ahead and do it. And if I still go ahead and do it, I am going to become more and more numb and unreceptive to what I'm doing. Or I have the option to walk the other way and let that skin say, stay soft and say sensitive so I'm feeling every little thing. And when that voice comes, I'm more and more receptive to it. A well-tended heart. You know, it's often the little things that are the beginnings where we have to make that choice of what the conscience says. I find that life's course is not dictated by one huge decision and off you go. It is dictated by a multitude of initially very small decisions which result in having very large consequences. I was thinking of this this morning. It can be simple things. I was in a hurry and I was taking a shower. Now, any of you who have children who are millennials will understand that children are not used to putting things back where they belong. Does anybody, uh, anyone experience that here? The things do not get put back where they belong. So here I am, I'm in a rush, I'm trying to have a shower. Yeah, my son knows exactly what's coming next. Uh, and my shampoo is gone. My shampoo is gone, I am in a hurry. It was there last night. And I'm like, it's in my bathroom. Why the heck is it gone? And here I am. I'm in a rush. I'm going to be late. And so I'm starting to get frustrated. I need to shampoo my hair. So I look around and see what there is. And uh, there I see there is a bottle of Dove Radiant Shine for dull and dry hair. Well, I do not have dull and dry hair. That is no use to me. I do not want it. And then there's another bottle of L'Oreal for ultra-thick, frizzy, damaged hair. I don't have ultra-thick, frizzy, damaged hair with split ends. I don't even have ends. I definitely don't have split ends. Where is my shampoo? And of course, there's the tea tree body wash. I don't want to put tea tree body wash on my hair. Everybody knows that tea tree just stings. I don't want it on my hair. I don't want it in my eyes. And I'm starting to get frustrated by the little things. And I hear this sound, ting, ting, ting. And it's the seed of the word beginning to bounce off my hardened heart. 
as I'm beginning to get angry and frustrated and I'm letting myself get worked up uh, by something that I shouldn't be worked up in. Instead, I should be listening to my conscience and I should be dwelling on that flow of life which keeps my soil soft and I should be choosing to let my conscience remain receptive and my heart soft. But if I didn't deal with the little things, then when the big things come, I'm probably not going to deal with those either. Let's make a decision to be receptive to God and deal with the little things so we can make sure that we are definitely going to deal with the big things. Key number two. We must model repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness forgiveness. There is so much in Scripture about having a repentant heart and have a heart which is willing to forgive. And you know the amazing thing is, I find in life, and I have to test myself on this, that many believers don't know how to live a life of forgiveness and repentance. And Jesus spoke very clearly about this in Matthew 18. And he talked about how if we are not able to forgive people, we become captive, handed over to the tormentor until we repay everything. And I'm telling you, I cannot repay what was paid for me by Jesus. I do not want to be in that situation. Therefore, I must learn how to live a life of repentance and forgiveness. It's both parts of it. The Bible makes it clear that if you're about to give your offering, but you know somebody has something against, if you know someone has something against you, then you go to him. But it also makes it clear that you should go to your brother as well, and you should ask for forgiveness if you've done something wrong. So whether it's you go to them or they go to you, it's got to happen one way or the other. The Bible talks a lot about repentance. So uh, what, is this, what does this really look like? Well, True, true repentance is not just an apology, but the word repent we know was used for, is an army term, and it means to stop in your tracks, turn from something to something else. A lot of the time we try to repent, and all we're doing is trying to, we just, we just come and stop, but we're still staring in the same direction. We're not turning to something else. But you can't properly repent unless you turn from something and to something else. So what does repentance actually look like? How do we properly repent? I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my time. Diana and I have. And often I'm kind of amazed when I'm talking with married couples and I'm realizing that there are lots of things that are being harbored because they simply haven't repented to one another. And sometimes my job is easy, and that the very simplest thing, I say to them, you know what? You're holding all this offense and unforgiveness, and the solution for you is to take responsibility for what you've done and repent for it, and you will be unlocked. You'll be released from the tormentor. So how do we repent? Well, let's just get really practical here. So let's say that I have wronged Diana. I spoke harshly to her because I was frustrated I was getting annoyed because someone stole my shampoo, and so I took it out on her. I took it out on her. My circumstances may have been justified, but it's still not right what I did to her, even if it was a result of something that was done to me. 
I'll deal with that separately, but what I must do is take responsibility for what I have wrongly done for her. So I'm not just saying I'm sorry. That gives me all the power. I'm not just apologizing, saying it was a shame. That gives me all the power. But true repentance requires something of the other person that you have wronged. And so I would say to her, will you forgive me for speaking harshly to you? I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong of me. So I am owning and taking responsibility for myself, and I'm giving the power to her to release me for what I've done. And she hears my heart, and then she has the opportunity to say, I forgive you for that. At that point, I am released. But the power of forgiveness is critical to repentance, and it comes from the one that you have wronged. So just saying sorry, just apologizing, is an inadequate way of repentance. That's not true biblical repentance. But true repentance says, this is what I did, I've done, it was wrong, and will you forgive me? Sometimes, depending on the offense, the person that needs to forgive you may need some time. In some of the different programs that we've done with raising children um, and teaching children a life of forgiveness, um, they make this point because if any of you have done this, I've sat down with my kids at different stages, helped them walk through something. One says, will you forgive me? And the other one says, no, I will not. <laughs> because they're too bound up by it and it's understandable. Sometimes we need a little time to get to a place of being able to forgive. And you know what? That's okay as long as we get there. But we do have to get there. And so if we can truly repent, then we're going to have a heart which remains soft and ready to receive the seed. Now on the other side of it, we've got the forgiveness part of it. Many of us here have had things done to us which have had a terribly deep and profound effect and we've been wronged and it's very hard to forgive somebody. It's very hard. Jesus knows how hard it is. And that's why he gave a parable which talked about the importance of being able to forgive and he talked about the principle of this that no amount of work that I could do could forgive the debt that I have been forgiven. And I must remember that. And whatever somebody has done to me, it is not as great a debt as what I did to God that was paid for by Jesus. And I would have been forgiven unconditionally of it all. Praise God. I was not deserving. And the person who wronged me may not be deserving either. But I will follow what Jesus modeled with me and I will draw on a grace that is there for me and I will do for them what he did for me. Which is I will forgive them even if they are not deserving either. And Lord... Help me do it. And he will. And when I can forgive from the heart, somebody else 
knowing how Jesus forgave me and took my debt and burden upon him, then I will live in, live in a place of freedom from a hard heart and from the rocks in this heart that draw away the water that provides the necessary nourishment to that seed. And if my heart's full of these obstacles, that seed within there will not get the nourishment and it will not grow. I must release those people who have wronged me and I must forgive them. And I realize this morning I'm talking about very difficult things and I don't want to, in the space of five minutes, just make it seem like it's a simple thing. Remember last week I said some things are simple but they are not easy. And this is one of them. But what I am saying is there's a grace from God to be able to forgive and there's a grace from God to be able to repent. And if we can do that, we will tend this heart here that this heart will facilitate growth both for us and others, that this heart will store and purify life, and this heart will change the atmosphere that is around you and me. It will transform everything around us. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, and we're going to pray and respond to God this morning. If you would close your eyes and just wait on the Lord, and I believe there are a couple of specific situations that God wants to speak into. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just close your eyes for a minute. And I want, the, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to tell you whether your conscience is clear or whether it has become hardened. And there are varying degrees. It's not an on-off switch. It's not you either have a clear conscience or a hard conscience. But are there areas where you have become hardened? Holy Spirit, speak to us and show us if there are areas where we become hardened and how that has happened, that we can turn and change and repent from that. I want to ask the Holy Spirit that he would show us if there are areas where we know that we need to repent, either to him or to other people. We know that we have wronged others and we have not taken responsibility and truly and properly repented. Holy Spirit, would you show us what those areas are and we will respond. There may be some people here that you need to forgive and you recognize it but as we're talking about it you have been wronged and you have been wronged you were not deserving of how you were treated and it hurt you it has affected you and God wants to free you he wants to help you to forgive from the heart the one that wronged you and he's saying today that I will give you grace for that and there may be someone here that as you're hearing this 
you recognize that you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know the God that we're speaking of. And something within you wants to. You know that you have not been living right with God, but He's drawing you today. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to free you from your life, from the sin and the bondage. And He wants you to know Him. And He's going to transform you and He's going to change your life. And the things that you have struggled with and wrestled with are going to be settled once and for all. And you have an opportunity this morning to come to God. And for you, that means for you, you have to turn from the way you've been living and turn towards Him. It's called repentance. It's recognizing I've not been living right, but I want to live right. I want to live for you, God. I want to put behind my past and living for myself and the selfishness and I want to follow you because I believe that you are real and that Jesus died for me that I can be right with you and today you can become right with God and if that's you I want you to come up and see me and I will pray with you and we will put the past behind and we will look to the future together going to pray right now. Father, I ask you for your Holy Spirit to come and flood us this morning, that it will bring transformation within our hearts, that you will give the grace to those that need to repent, the grace to those that need to forgive, and that you will give the insight to show us where we've hardened consciences, that we can turn and we can be soft for you, that we can bear much fruit this morning. And so I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And I thank you that you are our helper, you are our advocate, you are by our sides, you are cheering for us, and that you have made a way that we can do all that you have called us to do. You are an amazing, amazing Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name.